Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 63 of The In Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Ben Bumhopper. How are you doing this evening, Ben? I'm doing so much better than the first take that we just did that I messed up <laughs> that I am excited to keep on moving and, and making this the perfect episode. Perfect episode, and it wouldn't be the perfect episode without a guest. So with us tonight is the fantastic RJ Cresswell. Thank you so much for joining us. I am Ben. Thank you all very much for inviting me to be on tonight. I appreciate it. Look forward to talking with you all. So RJ is someone I have been following on Twitter for quite a while. Um, at first, uh, I found you through your kind of stories of uh, your schooling and D&D kind of in the classroom and in a school setting and in the groups like that. And I just uh, loved it. I thought it was super cool and fascinating. Um, and you uh, run games professionally as a DM as well. Uh, you're currently an uh, administrator in, in a school setting and you've been in this type of environment a long time. So I wanted to first uh, have you introduce yourself and just kind of a little bit of your history before we dive in. Sure thing. So yeah, I'm RJ Cresswell. Uh, I have been playing role-playing games and Dungeons and Dragons since about 1993, I think. I was a freshman in high school when I started. Uh, prior to that, I had had a significant interest in role-playing games, not really knowing what they were at the time, but I, I sort of got started with Hero Quest. I got that one year for Christmas, you know, uh, which is, yeah, I mean, it's very similar, you know, obviously based mm -hmm. on, you know, role-playing games and stuff like that. And then loved the, the D and D cartoon when I was a kid, you know, so, yes. um, I, I guess my, my, my D and D started with the cartoon before I actually knew that it was a game or, you know, uh, whatever, but I, I've been playing since 19. 93. I probably ran my first game in maybe 94 or something like that. Uh, didn't really start with Dungeons and Dragons. I started with Rifts and Heroes Unlimited and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and games from like the Palladium systems, uh, villains and vigilantes and stuff like that. I was really big into superheroes and comics and stuff like that. So um, uh, played a lot with that. I've been professional DMing for about two years now. You know, uh, prior to that, I've like DM'd at cons and stuff like that. You know, um, in the local area, like down in Austin and, and, and things like that. But but really, as far as the professional DMing goes, I've uh, been doing it for about two years. And like you mentioned, uh, I ran a D&D &D club uh, for middle school students uh, for several years uh, when I was an art teacher prior to becoming an administrator. So uh, did a lot of did a lot of work uh, introducing, you know, kids to D&D &D and stuff like that. So uh, other than that, I got games that I play locally with friends, uh, do a lot of games online for my, my professional games and uh, do streaming here, here and there. And I'm currently working on podcasts as well. So awesome. Yeah, that is that is quite the repertoire of things. That's super cool. It keeps um, me busy. I, I bet. <laughs> uh, let's zero in on on one of those things. Uh, running D&D &D professionally. That's probably something that not a lot of people have heard of or even know you could really do. Um, but this is actually a trend and there's usually uh, there's been news articles every now and then about the professional DM who flies to the clientele of the, the rich and famous and whatever. <laughs> and that's that's not uh, quite the real picture of what a professional DM is. Um, but 
it is something basically uh, being able to turn your hobby into uh, allowing you to make some money as well, um, having fun. So I wanted to talk a little bit about like how you got started with with professional DMing and what kind of drew you to to that path. So when I was in high school, uh, like I said, I, I played you know Dungeons and Dragons and role playing games a lot. You know, it was it was a big part of part of what I did with my friends. Uh, same thing kind of carried on uh, into college, and then I got out of it for a little while as I finished up college, became an educator, and things like that. And then when Fifth Edition uh, got released, I, I really got back into it again and, and started playing with some of my local friends. Um, and I ended up being a DM, you know, a lot of the time. Uh, both in a group with my local friends and uh, a group with my online buddies, not online buddies, but my buddies from high school who I used to play with. Uh, we started playing online because we're no longer local to each other mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And both in my my group uh, with my high school buddies and my local friends, you know, I had a couple of people, you know, that just kept telling me, uh, you know, RJ, I, I keep reading these articles about people who do this professionally and you should really look into it, you know? Uh, and I was just like, okay, whatever, you know, that's, that's flattering. Thank you. I'm, 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 you know, it's nice that you think that of me. And then I just ignored them for years, you know? (laughs) Um, right. So I happened to, uh, be friends with total party kill on Twitter and Devin had posted, Devin had posted, uh, about this new platform that uh, he and some other people were working on uh, called startplaying.games, uh, which was just basically this, this platform where it puts, uh, dungeon masters in touch with players who are, are, are looking to play games. Uh, so basically you just advertise your games on there and people can sign up for them. You can run free games, but the idea is obviously for professional dungeon masters to run paid games and stuff. So I just got in touch with him and I was able to get in kind of, you know, when they initially got started and launched and I was lucky enough that uh, there were multiple groups of people that I started playing with and they've just been playing with me for uh, about the last uh, couple of years and uh it's not quite two years yet but we're coming in on that over the summer so uh i've got several long-term groups through there and uh then occasionally uh people will just contact me and ask if i can do a game for them like a one shot on one night or they'll ask me if i can run a campaign for them uh because i work as an administrator full-time uh i haven't really tried to make the professional dming a full-time thing but mm-hmm. uh uh but you know i mean i run anywhere from two to five games a week. Usually, usually, uh, since I've become an administrator, it's been more like two or three. Mm -hmm. Uh, but when I was an art teacher last year, you know, I I would run up to five games a week. I just, I had a lot more time to to do. Wow. That's super cool. And what a, what a cool website. I mean, half the problem with D and D is finding people and scheduling. So that, (laughs) that honestly takes out like some of the biggest pain points of just, a tabletop RPG and start playing not games is also not just D and D it's they've got the the whole gamut. So like you could, uh, if I, if I recall, you can find like call of Cthulhu, you could find vampire, the masquerade, you could find pathfinder second edition. You could find like multiple editions of D and I'm sure five E is the bulk of what they do, but it's a, it's a very cool site. Um, Definitely. And like you said, you can just jump on and find DMs and message them and be like, hey, you can can you run something for me? And you just have a rate, right? And they can 
Exactly. That's kind of the way it works. So, you know, I've got it, uh, I've got it to where it, it works two ways. I've got one game, uh, that I keep open as just like, you know, $25 a, a player or something like that. And, uh, I've got a normal group of six people who, who usually show up to play that. Um, but occasionally not all of them can make it. So I'll leave slots open so that we can get new players drop in with new characters occasionally. Uh, and, uh, we've even had like, you know, recurring players, you know, like they'll drop in for one session and then they'll see, you know, some, a week or a month later, we've got another spot open and they'll come drop back in, you know, with their same character and see what we're up to and stuff like that. And, and then I have it the other way where, where people can just, you know, message me and, you know, uh, set up either a one shot game with me or a long term campaign with me or, or what have you. So, um, you know, it's I usually keep pretty busy. And haven't had a lot of time to, to fuss with like, you know, really scheduling things out and trying mm -hmm. to do this on my own on like Patreon or, mm -hmm. you know, something like that. So it's been a pretty invaluable tool for me because I can just schedule everything in there and I can put up a game whenever I want to. And, uh, you know, people are either play or they don't. And if they don't, then, you know, I don't have to do a game that night. But most of the time, you know, uh, uh, my games get booked. So I've been yeah. pretty lucky with that, you know. So it's fun. There's the the incentive. If you pay for it, you'll probably show up for What's it that? too. Yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. definitely added incentive. Um, so if I want to get my players to always show up on time, <laughs> make them make got them pay it. For it. I mean, not that that's ever an issue. I'm usually the one who has to yeah. postpone. But anyway, um, so well, that's the, oh, go ahead. That's the other part of it too. Is you know, I mean, obviously with the professional DM. Like I wouldn't consider myself flaky at all. I mean, I'm pretty reliable. If I say I'm going to run a game, I usually run it, you know, but that's the other thing with it too, is, I mean, if, if you're getting paid, you need to show up and not cancel on people. You know, <laughs> So it, oh, it, yeah. it, it kind of works both ways there, you know? Oh yeah. Makes sense. Now when uh, people, um, or you do have, you know, just uh, openings or you're able to pull in, you know, extra people or, or, or everything. Um, do you find that it, it's kind of hard balancing based on some of the different characters or, or, um, uh, you know, God, I can't think any drop classes in, drop, any, in, yeah. drop out. Yeah, yeah. Basically it's like, Oh, well I have, I'm like very healer heavy this time, or I'm very melee heavy this time, or, or, you know, do you encounter any sort of problems like that? And how do you kind of balance those out when you do run into them? Don't try to balance for one. I guess that's the short answer is, you know, I, I've always told my players, um, I, well, first I like my players to be informed, you know, so I'll say, you know, depending on, you know, how many people we have, um, you know, it's looking like we have five people. Here's what everyone's playing. You know, gotcha. we've already got, you know, two priests. If you want to be another cleric, by all means, make a cleric and, and that will be fine. And I've never really found where it's been an issue. You know, mm -hmm. uh, if I have a party that doesn't really have any magic users or healers or anything like that, um, then I usually just take care of it some other way in the game. You know, I don't, you know, I don't throw like huge, you know, arcana riddles or, or th things that their characters couldn't possibly do you know uh I'd, i might just make adjustments on the fly if it's a pre-written module or something like that you know so uh that's one thing with me is i've i've done this for long enough at i mean literally there are lots of my games that i don't 
prepped for at all whatsoever. You know, for some of the campaigns that I run, mm-hmm. sometimes uh, I always do like a, I don't really do like uh, any of the the virtual uh, platforms. I just have a secondary camera that I put on my maps and minis and stuff like that, just because I have a pretty huge collection of that. And a lot of my players love it when I break out a mini that they haven't seen before or a set piece or a map or whatever. But the point that I'm trying to make is uh, sometimes I'll just turn, I'll like have a blank map up. And just their character sitting on it. And I'm like, I have no idea what y'all are doing tonight exactly. Here's where we left off last time. Uh, y'all were kind of at a decision point. And then I let them sort of guide what's what's going to happen. So That's great. I try to be a very responsive or reactive to, to what they're doing. Now, obviously, uh, if if group is floundering or really going nowhere, you know, for a set amount of time, then then I'll throw some more hooks in there and, and you know, kind of orcs, orcs attack. To, yeah, uh, or, or or whatever it is, you know. In my particular game, orcs tend to be nobles a lot of the time, you know. Oh. Uh, uh, depending on on uh, oh, that's my homebrew game, which I which okay, I do okay. one of my campaigns is that. But uh, anyway, uh, but but I'll find something to progress a plot along somewhere, mm. you know. But yeah, in, in terms of like balancing with the characters and stuff like that, I let them play what they want to play, and we just figure it out from there. That's great, and and that's one of the great things about. Uh, you know, having this sort of experiences, the more open-ended you are, the the easier it is to actually incorporate any sort of person who wants to play and, you know, give the, the, the type of adventure that, you know, the group is kind of leaning towards. Uh, now, I saw that uh, on your page, you, you know, really go for like the kind of the big three pillars and of uh, storytelling, with which is, you know, RP, RP combat and exploration. <laughs> I'm having a real hard time tonight, apparently. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, if you had any sort of uh, you know favorite section of that, like, do you lean towards a specific way, or um, do you try to kind of um, I don't know entice some of the people who might be really into RP into more of an exploration aspect of it, or do you really try to just hold the balance throughout the whole line? So because I play with so many different people and sometimes it's drop in campaigns or it's people that I've never played with before, um, I try to have a fair amount of balance between those three things because I found that, you know, all players have, you know, slightly different play styles and some, you know, or favor more heavily to RP. Some just, you know, if I gave them like a four hour combat, they would be like, that's the greatest game I've ever played, you know, uh, just because they want to use all their cool stuff, you know. Um, so I just try to incorporate a little bit every session. That way, if someone really likes RPing or role-playing, uh, they have an opportunity to do that for a little while. Um, if someone likes combat, you know, I make sure to have at least, you know, one pretty significant battle, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some times, though, uh, like, um, I just finished up a Curse of Strahd campaign and in there, one of my players, you know, was really into RP and stuff like that. And we had done probably a little more combat than Curse of Strahd calls for. Uh, but one of the last sessions we did, we didn't, I, I think only one player made a die roll all night and it was still a, a really fun session, you know? So it, it just kind of depends on the group and, and, and what they like and stuff like that. But as a general rule, especially if I don't know, if I don't know the group and I'm playing with them for the first time, you know, I'll try to get some expectations from them. But, but uh, generally uh, I focus a little bit more on the combat and the role play because the exploration, I mean, 
the players just sort of naturally do that, yeah. you know, uh, and I let them interact with the things that they find interesting, you know, so, uh, but I find if, you know, if I have a pretty good amount of, of role play to, to, to combat, that's, that's a, that's a pretty good, uh, balance there. Um, I'll tell you with, with newer groups, with people who aren't familiar with D and D and I know they're playing for the first time, um, you know, I'll introduce sort of the concepts of role playing and, and exploration, but like the role play can be awkward for them sometimes you know they're not they're not used to it and uh so the opportunity is there and we talk about how they might do it and stuff like that so with newer groups a lot of times we will have a good bit more combat or something like that you know because because they get those mechanics a little bit more and then if they're running like a if i'm running a campaign with them you know we might uh just as the campaign goes on we'll get a little bit more into the role playing as they get into their characters and sort of learn what that's about you know so yeah that's that's super cool um, one thing I wanted to to focus on, because you talked about like running several games at a time, um, I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about your your management technique. Because I run I run two games in my homebrew world. I've got two campaigns currently running in my homebrew world, and uh, part of part of the problem is I'm creating my world somewhat as I go too. Because uh, I have one campaign that's taking place on the continent that another group has already been on, so that's more fleshed out. So I have less to do with that. But then one group is on a brand new continent, so it's kind of as as it comes type thing. Uh, so as especially from a professional DM standpoint, when you're running so many games, do you tend to like find a subset of modules and go, okay, I'm just gonna learn these modules really well, and then I can just run these on the fly whenever I want. Uh, do you run homebrew? What's kind of your your system? Uh, so there are some modules that, well, primarily um, I run uh, Dragon Heist. Um, so that that was kind of like my most popular session on um, start playing dot games. Uh, I think that's because I I uh, I sort of. Uh, I retitled it drunken heist and just sort of put a spin on it, you know, like, you know, we're going to play dragon heist, but you know, this will be, you know, a a 21 and up campaign. So, you know, none of us are going to get schnockered or anything like that. But if you would have, if you'd like to have a drink or two while we're playing in a laid back sort of atmosphere, you know, that's the kind of game that we're going to run, you know? Uh, And a lot of people liked that idea, you know, or were intrigued by it, you know? So I have probably, on five or six full dragon heist uh campaigns you know with with different groups so i've done that module more than anything else uh professionally and i've done it uh i've done it with groups outside of my professional dming as well so i'm probably coming in on you know close to seven or eight times i've run that campaign so i can just pretty much i can do dragon heist at any time i could do it without the module now, you know, uh, so I could just leave the book at home and run it. Um, so I've done that one probably more than anything. Um, I also did Rime of the Frost Maiden, and um, the group that I did that with, we got a substantial way through it, and then we just all decided this is too dark for this group. You know, <laughs> so we just—I don't want to give spoilers or anything like that. Yeah, but we've got a we've got a uh, a podcast we do both me and Ben playing, we're actually running through rhyme right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, so, there's definitely, I don't think we've gotten to the super dark stuff yet, but it's coming. I'm sure. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, I don't want to give spoilers or anything, but there's there's a part in there that can be a m- bit much for players to take, especially if they're trying to play heroes or something like that, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, we just sort of decided, you know, as, as a group, that session didn't feel as fun as some of our previous sessions. I don't think we like the decisions that were put in front of us there. So let's take this in a, in a different way. And, and we just kind of deviated from what the module did, you know? Um, So, but um, you know, another group might've loved it. That particular one didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, so we just kind of abandoned it. It's all about the group. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, And they knew we were doing horror. They knew it was a dark, a darker kind of survival horror or whatever, but I don't think they anticipated, you know, how dark it got, you know, um, that being said, um, that very same group, we went on and did the full campaign of curse of Strahd and they loved it, you know, cause it wasn't quite as dark as, you know, rhyme of the frost maiden. Um, but so I, I've done uh, curse of Strahd as well. Uh, I also have a group that, you know, I gave them some options. I said, you know, we can play whatever module you want to, or I do homebrew as well. Uh, and they were like, well, let's just do your homebrew world. And we've been doing that for over a year now, you know, and they've been having, awesome. having a lot of fun in my homebrew. So, um, you know, I've done those. I've also, uh, I've got another campaign where we're doing, um, uh, the dragon of ice spire peak, you know, from the, the essentials kit. Oh, yeah. And, uh, anyway, uh, I run a lot of the, the modules I'm open to, to, to doing any of them. I just need time to prepare for them. I've got an Eberron campaign starting tomorrow. I've never done Eberron before, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But That's, uh, that's super cool. Do you find, uh, do you find that, so like uh, for your dragon heist that you said you've run seven or eight times, do you find it's still like fresh and fun for you every single time? Like, do you see a large amount of variance in some of the decisions do, uh, after even like running it a few times? Do, do your players still take you off guard or have you gotten that down close to a science? So I would say... I mean, my players do stuff all the time that kind of catches me off guard. (laughs) And sometimes I can't help but react in a way of like, okay, I wasn't anticipating that at all. Let me regroup for a second or whatever. (laughs) But but I I try not to do that. I try to just roll with whatever whatever they give me. Uh, In terms of having like the different groups play the same module, um, no one's done anything super surprising yet um uh probably the only surprising thing that that's happened in that is one of my groups and that wasn't one of my paid groups but one of my my local like friend groups uh just out of nowhere one of the characters betrayed the party and brought the campaign to an end in you know an unceremonious way that's the most surprising thing that ever happened with that you know um but but most of the time, you know, there are certain I, I try not to put players like on a on a, you know, the tracks or whatever. I try to keep it sandboxy and let them do what they like. But, you know, when presented with certain options and certain scenarios, there's usually only a handful of ways that players will react. And I've had so many players at this point that kind of know that within a certain boundary, you know, these things are all possible and I know to kind of expect them, you know, so. Yeah, and that's that probably helps. Like like we were talking about, like management wise, like you can r- now run that in your sleep type thing. I, I assume that having a module like that or a few modules like that is probably very important for professional DMing, uh, just so to cut down on the time <laughs> required to to prep things. 
Yeah, it is. And, and that's been, you know, um, that's been very helpful for me uh, that most of the groups want to play that module because I don't have to go prepare something new, you know. Um, that being said, you know, I mean, I've just kind of found there's a certain formula for doing, you know, <laughs> doing uh, um, sessions with players. And it doesn't really matter what module you're doing or whatever. But if you just fo if you follow just basic story writing, you know, mm -hmm. the characters have some kind of goal, you know, uh, there's some kind of payoff for it. You know, they're either successful or they're not. There need to be, you know, challenges along the way. You know, uh, this is just sort of how you know, I, I kind of do it on the fly is just some sort of, I react to what they're doing and I just try to find a way that, you know, can progress the story forward and stuff like that. Even if they go off script, you know, because, yeah. because yeah. I try to tell them, you know, I, I present them with, with hooks or opportunities or, you know, this, this kind of scenario or whatever. And I'm like, this doesn't sound interesting to y'all. Or if something else sounded interesting, that was just briefly described, focus in on that and we'll take it that way, you know? So. Yeah. Now, have you ever flexibility is great? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, homebrew module, whatever you're doing. I mean, it, especially having like the right hooks there to really, you know, pull interest and everything. Uh, it, it can be a challenge sometimes, but you know, knowing and listening to what your players want is th really the key to success. Like you were saying. Now, as you've been running through, like, say, Dragon Heist, have you run the same module? in multiple games at the same time and if so like how do you keep track of which group is where so the answer to that is yes i've had oh several groups oh running gosh. through dragon heist concurrently um and i remember a lot of what happened during the sessions mm -hmm. i do take my own notes but I am not the note taker for every campaign. So that is really my, my key to success with that is find someone in every group who's going to be the dedicated, you know, note taker, you know, uh, and, and have them sort of keep track of where we left off last time. And a lot of times we'll talk about, you know, at the end of the session, this is where we're leaving off. Where do you want to take this next time? What are the threads that you're interested in pulling? You know, uh, that way, you know, I don't have to do a whole lot of prep. I already know, like, when they start the next session, mm -hmm. you know, that they were going to go to this village or they were going to go interrogate this NPC or they were going to, you know, they're interested in going and trying to buy an item or something like that. You know, so I kind of know where we're starting the next session. But but the answer to that is I try to have a good note taker in every group, you know, and so far I've been really lucky with that. And, you know, I'll have like, you know, discord uh, groups with my different campaigns and stuff like that. And some of the note takers will even type up their notes and just put it into, you know, our discord, you know, server or whatever, so that it's there for everyone to reference for the, the next time and stuff. Oh, very so. good. Yeah. Note takers, you're the real heroes. They are most certainly. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I DM, I, I do try to take notes as best I can, but you know, I'm not going to remember the one NPC that randomly told them, Oh, they went that way. You know, when someone wants to come back and say, who was that guy again? Um, Joe Bob the third. I don't know. You know, look right. to your note taker. They usually know. And, and that's yeah. true. Yeah, for sure. No, that that all that all sounds uh, that sounds really good. And that that sounds like an excellent. I mean, that's just an excellent tip in general uh, for any group is find find the person who enjoys or at least doesn't hate <laughs> taking notes um, and just have that available because that is a massive, massive help to the DM. 
to have not have to worry about recording all the little details um, so that that type of stuff can be brought up again. Um, so before we kind of switch to uh, talking about more uh, running D&D with kids and uh, the, the school stuff, uh, from all of this knowledge, especially your, your professional DM knowledge and such, uh, what would you say are the like top three things that you've learned over this time that you would recommend either someone who wants to get started doing this doing or just generally D from for any DM uh, to, to help them out? Well, the top three things I would say, and, and if we're not talking about, you know, for professional DMs, but just DMs in general, uh, remember that you're playing a game and people are playing it because they want to have fun. And that's one thing that I try to keep in mind every session that I'm doing. Um, there are a lot of people who, you know, are I'm strictly rules as written. We're not going to deviate this. You know, you're not going to deviate from the core rule book, you know, or anything like that. They tell their players no a lot of the times, you know, and, and I've played in games like this under DMs uh, early on. I was probably more like that as well. Uh, but what I have found is that if you say yes more than you say no, uh, players tend to have more fun. And I don't mean let players do anything they want or walk over you all over you or anything like that or all over the rules or whatever. But for me, it's more fun to say yes and find a way that that could happen than to, to say no, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so. I guess really uh, remember you're trying to have fun, find ways to, to help your players have fun. Cause that's what they want to do. Um, find a way for you to enjoy it, have fun as well. Uh, Cause that's what you're all there for. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one thing that, that uh, I'm a big proponent of is, is failing forward. You know, I've talked with people about this a lot. That's, that's what I think is another tool for success for me is I don't, you know, have players make some kind of check and then boom, that just stops the game. Cause we can't, you know, yeah. uh, we, we can't <laughs> oh, go on huge. from there. Um, you know, so I just, I, I try to look at, you know, how poorly they failed their check, you know, or, or what have you. And I'll let the plot continue on from there, but something else might happen, you know? So if they're, you know, for example, uh, if they're trying to, to jump over a chasm or something like that, and, you know, I have them make an athletics check or whatever, and, and they botch that, in a paid game, I don't really want my players plummeting to their deaths, you know, uh, <laughs> right at the beginning of the game, or their their characters plummeting to their deaths. So, you know, I might have them do something like, okay, well, you jump, you just barely grab onto the other side, you're, you're hanging by a hand, and you drop your backpack or something like that. So there was a consequence to botching that role, but it didn't mean that their character died and now they're taken out of the session or have, mm -hmm. we have to stop and make a new character or whatever. So I guess the second thing would be let your players fail forward, you know? Um, now I know that some people will have a, a much different philosophy on that. You know, they believe that, you know, uh, your role-playing games, I mean, they should be deadly and stuff like that. Let them fall to their deaths or whatever. But like I said, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of different in a paid game too, you know, cause again, sure. these sure. people are there to play all night, you know, yeah, you don't want to have mean a, that a TPK in the first five minutes and be like, peace, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, that being said, you know, I mean, you know, character death has been a part of, of my paid mm -hmm. games. Some, it just happens, you know, if it, if it couldn't happen, you know, that would be, I think it would take away from the game, Definitely. but, but in general, I, I like the, the, the failing forward kind of thing. And then I guess the, the last thing uh, I would say for, for any dungeon master, 
uh, it's, it's, I'm going to classify it as one thing, but it's really, really three things. And that's just be prepared, be reliable, be flexible. You know, um, I, I try to live by those rules. And when I say prepared, I don't mean you have to spend two hours or whatever, mm-hmm. but at least have, have some idea of what's going to happen. Your, your idea of preparation, like for me, if I'm doing a homebrew game, my idea of preparing is I'll create a village. I'll create NPCs to populate the village. I'll create certain story hooks to seed in here or there. Uh, then, you know, so I might spend three hours working on setting up a campaign like that. And then I let the play over, players take over from there. I've already done my prep work and I can just, you know, so I don't, I don't have to do a lot of prep for every session mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, but, but, but you need to have something for the players to do, you know, oh, I, I just didn't know. For sure. Um, no, I think that those are some, those are some absolutely awesome tips. Uh, and <laughs> while you were talking about that, uh, I, I did think of one other thing and, uh, it's something you talked about a little earlier with the the drop in drop out. So there's uh, a style of game. I think it's West Marches is mm-hmm. is the the terminology for it, which is basically like a a DM has a game and then you just play with whoever shows up, and those people might not be the same people uh, from session to session. Uh, and so, how do you handle that? Like, like, how do you handle like drop in, drop out people from, especially if you have a campaign that's longer term or potentially a few people who are more consistent and then some new people dropping in and dropping out? Because I know some DMs like that style of game or some people would want to run that style of game where it's just a, I'm going to, I know I'm going to be here, so I'll just play with whoever shows up. Um like uh like how how do you work that do you have some and do you have some tips for people who want to run that kind of style of game so um while i do you know drop in drop out and stuff like that i haven't really done like a good and proper west Marchers you know style campaign uh it's one that i've wanted to try before but i've never really really done it um uh, that's kind of how my Eberron campaign is going to be uh like i've got a, a, a solid group of players for that but you know, frequently we're down, you know, at least two of the players or something like that. So I'm just going to be doing it where every week is just kind of like a one shot, you know, mission that their characters are doing uh, so that anybody could drop into it at any time. And then they play for that session. And if we never see them again, well, they were just some random mercenary that they encountered, you know. Uh, but I guess the for the campaigns that I do that are long term, uh, where we have players who might not make it to a session, and then we have a new player that session, and then the players back the following session after that. Um, I just talk with my groups about it. And I'm like, it's just not too thick in the weeds on this. We're just going to kind of hand wave the fact that this character is not here. Either one of a couple of things has happened. You're in a haunted house. So it's entirely possible that, I mean, that's just kind of like a trope. Everybody's together. And then all of a sudden you turn around and this player is not there. And then randomly they show up later and tell you something crazy happened to them, you know, <laughs> uh, or, or, or something, you know, strange or unusual happened to them. Um, so a lot of times we just sort of hand wave it and, you know, these groups have played together long enough that they're okay with doing that. Or I say, you know, even if a player just didn't inexplicably disappear, um, you know, we have them drop to the background. They're just a character that sort of fades into the background and they might be there, but we can assume, you know, their characters taken part of taking part of combat, 
but they're not being like the the one that the action is really focused on or whatever yeah. you know they're letting loose arrows or whatever perhaps they're just kind of glancing off shields or you know things like that so uh, I, I guess what i'm trying to say is uh, more or less i just hand wave it and say everybody let's just deal with the fact that this player didn't show up tonight you know we knew that that wasn't gonna happen and and almost everybody is okay with doing that in any of the campaigns uh and i've had um I've had a lot of players, you know, that have told me some variation of the reason why I started playing with you is because I just wanted to get tips for being a dungeon master. And then I like the game we were doing. So I'm continuing playing. And, and one of them fairly recently said something like, I really like how you just let people drop in and out of your sessions, you know, uh, without too much explanation about it. You know, so I, I guess I just I try not to focus on it too much. It just happens. Not everyone can make every session and we don't need to make too big a deal about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't really need to spend a whole narrative uh, point on why Bob the Bard was there when you entered the the uh, Knoll stronghold, but, you know, disappeared for 20 minutes or whatever while combat happened and stuff. Yeah, it, it definitely makes sense, especially if, you know, you're trying to move the story along and you have like a limited amount of time and everything. So that's good. That's yeah, very no, good. That's, that's super helpful. Um and that's uh, that's definitely that is definitely uh, a great style of play uh, to be able to to do. Um, and it is it's great. And that's probably one of those things that you want to bring up with whenever you start campaigns that could be like that, especially with people who are planning on being there more often. Uh, it's just another one of those like session zero type things. Mm -hmm. hey, people may be dropping in and out. Don't don't have your characters make a huge deal of it. You run into mercenaries all the time. Uh, that are there to help out because like you said uh, an adventure to do something some reward to receive and all the all the characters can be motivated by that so that's yeah. that's good um so i wanted to, to shift focus a little bit and talk a little bit about um your school days and starting your D, &D club and running D, D with uh like teenagers and such because uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of parents there. There are probably a lot of teachers who would love to to do something like this because uh, it could be a very engaging thing. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk with you about is uh, just some of the like life skills that can come from tabletop gaming uh, for kids. Uh, so I wanted to kind of get your take on that and uh, maybe talk a little bit about how you got involved with it and uh, how other people might get involved or some tips for playing with kids versus playing with just your peer group. So, yeah, I was I mean, currently I'm a, a school administrator, but uh, up to last year, I was an art teacher for the last several years and uh, I was working at a middle school teaching art. And I just happened to discover that um, several of the other teachers in the elective hall, uh, specifically the band teachers, they were also gamers as well. You know, uh, I think the way we figured this out was uh, I think we had a like a hat day. You could wear a hat and I wore like a D&D &D hat or something like that. And, you know, one of them was like, oh, you play D&D? &D? Me and the other band teachers, we have a Pathfinder game we're playing, you know, <laughs> and we're just like, that's awesome, you know. Um, so we started talking about stuff like that. And then um, 
we just decided to have like this this game club night one night. Uh, they played Pathfinder, but they were really they were really into like Magic the Gathering and stuff like that. So we just organized this this game night at our school, and we called it like the Meta Gamers Club or something like that. And um, you know, they were focused on like playing. Uh, card games with the kids like in Magic the Gathering and uh, I was like well I could have my room open up to anybody who wants to play Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that and we just had rotations where like people like the kids went from room to room and got exposed to different types of games that they could play uh, cool. and we started this we yeah, started this club cool. yeah uh, but but we had to get permission to do that first you know so we had to write up a whole plan for our administrators and everything and, and really sell why we thought this needed to be a, a club uh, on campus you know so we did some research on you know D in the classroom or games in the classroom and stuff like that uh, and came up with this proposal and it, it got accepted uh, so we started this club and it started out with me and several other teachers, but it eventually just turned into a D&D club, you know, because the other, the, the band teachers and stuff couldn't commit as much as I could, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, it just kind of morphed into an after-school D&D club. Uh, and then for uh, one of the years that I was there, it actually turned into like a D&D class, you know, throughout the day. So we had our after-school club, but I also had like a block in the day of an hour where students would come in and play D&D and, and things like that as well. Um, and just, you know, kind of the things that I saw with the students is, I mean, it, it it really helped with like problem solving type skills, you know, like, and, and we talked about that, you know, we're like, okay, D and D is a, a game where you might have conflict and battles and stuff like that, but that's not the way you have to solve every problem. And some kids really got into trying to find ways that weren't, you know, violent to, to have their character mm -hmm. solve problems and stuff like that. And that was really, really awesome to, to see. Um, it also helped a lot with, with conflict resolution. I mean, as you can imagine, you know, middle schoolers aren't always the most mature of people, you know, <laughs> and, and something like D and D and character conflict in there can actually turn into two kids arguing with each other and stuff like that. So, you know, we really had some, some good talks about, you know, how to resolve things with, with your peers and, and stuff like that. Um, in addition to that, one of the biggest things that I saw was, I mean, it, it, it really helped some students gain a little bit more confidence, you know, yeah. uh, because kind of the way I did it is, I mean, you know, there was at least my, my last year doing D and D, uh, club, um, before becoming an administrator, I think I had over the course of the year, over a hundred and something students had attended wow. at some point, you know? Uh, and sometimes, you know, I would have the, the club open and I would have, five tables, you know, full of like, you know, indie players and stuff like that. Um, and I just early on, I was like, there's no way I can try to DM for this many kids at once. So yeah. I, I turned that responsibility over to them as soon as possible. We just talked about the basic mechanics, how to do a story with characters and stuff like that. And then I just turned it over to them. They just went, they went wild with it, you know, uh, and it was great because they would take turns DMing at their table and stuff like that. And just to see them grow in confidence from when they initially started to, you know, several weeks or months into to the club was, was good. So, you know, mainly uh, problem solving, conflict resolution, confidence. Those were, those were things that all, you know, came about. That is very cool. And 
I mean, you and I are about the same age, so I wish I was actually going to school right now because I could have really used something like that back in middle school and high school. You know, same, it's, it's same. You know, I was I would the, have enjoyed that. Yeah, I was the the super quiet, you know, kind of geeky kid who everybody picked on, and you know, being able to find something like D and D would have just like helped a lot with that, and, and you know, giving me a place as well as you know, help build some of that that confidence and this, especially the conflict resolution. I mean, that would have been absolutely fantastic to have at that age Mm -hmm. well yeah and a a lot of that came with you know i mean uh, session zero was mentioned earlier while i tried to get the kids to playing as as quickly as possible we did have pretty much you know like the the first and second meeting of our of our club was more or less like here's our expectations and what we're going to do with games and what we can't do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we talked a, a lot about that, about how to solve problems like that occur during games and stuff like that. And, you know, just for, for any of the people who listen, who might be wanting to start clubs and stuff like that. If you don't tell your middle school students that their characters can't start in a tavern getting drunk, that's immediately where they will start, you know? So you have to say, <laughs> you know, there, there are certain tropes that you might've heard about D and D before, these are the ones that we can't be doing in our D and D club. If we want to keep doing our D and D club, you know, <laughs> is an administrator or a parent's going to hear, going to walk in and, you know, it's always going to be the wrong about. time. <laughs> exactly. So we had a large set of guidelines of, you know, like I wanted them to play D and D, but I was like, can't really talk about drugs or alcohol or sex or anything like that. You're, mm-hmm. you're going to have to find other things for your characters to do when they're not fighting monsters and, finding treasures and things like that, you know? So, um, but yeah, we just, we had to spend a lot of time talking about expectations and, and uh, how to manage conflict and stuff like that. So uh, I, that's, that's just smart in general mm-hmm. uh, to, to have that level set to make sure everyone's on the same page. Like that doesn't, that it's uh, probably even more important <laughs> for, for a school setting, but that doesn't necessarily go away for you in uh, home games or online games or probably professionally DM games where I'm sure it's, this is, these are probably my like line hard lines uh, that's that I won't cross. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the, the type of content that uh, I can present. Does anyone have a problem with this or so on and so forth? Uh, so no, that's that's pretty cool, um, and it's it's a very good takeaway for sure. Did you did you ever get to play in any of your students' games? Yeah, uh, I most certainly did. You know, so of the way we started off, like when when we got into playing, was uh, prior to any students being a dungeon master, as I as I ran like a session for like the entire room, but it was more a session that was teaching them to play as we played. You know, so I might have five different tables in there, and we're running the scenario, and you know, I'll tell them what's going on, and you know, uh, they explain at their tables how their characters are reacting, and we talk about how to make the rules and stuff like that. But once they got into uh, once they got into running their own games, uh, I would occasionally sit down with a table and just play at their table for the day you know just you know usually i would just pull out some npc stats or something like that and just kind of sit down or or you know make a character real quick or whatever especially if for some reason one player's table you know didn't have two or three people show up that day to the club or something like that i I would just kind of fill it out i didn't really do any of their campaigns with them but i definitely played I, i definitely sat in on sessions with the students you know so and you know they they do some interesting things you know because <laughs> that's that's well, kind of what I wanted to hear exactly <laughs> yeah I mean because you know 
I used to play video games a lot when I was younger, but you know, they're, they're really big into, you know, gaming outside of D and D with video games mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So they would pull in like mechanics, you know, from, from video games that they liked or whatever. And, you know, you know, they, uh, they sometimes, you know, people who knew the rules a little bit better would be like, well, Mr. Cresswell, this dungeon master is doing this or whatever. And I'm like, well, it's kind of the game that they're running for you. You know, is everybody <laughs> having fun still, you know? And I'm like, and they're like, yeah, we're, we're having fun. It's just not a D and D rule. And I'm like, is if you say it can be one, you know? So, I mean, they, they would pull in like, you know, mechanics from video games and stuff like that and, and do some weird, you know, kind of stuff or whatever. But I'm just like, as long as they're, y'all are having fun, you can accept that as a rule at your table, you know? So, yeah. You know, with that being said, was it kind of hard to uh, get them to open up and realize that truly anything is possible compared to video games where you do have like, you know, just a, a few static choices in, in some uh, scenarios? I thought it was going to be hard, but it wasn't. I mean, I turned it over to them and the, and the ones who took up the reins for, you know, being the dungeon master initially, they had great ideas or fun ideas or whatever. Cool. And, you know, a lot of it was like, it's nothing that I would have thought to do with a and d game, you know, mm-hmm. but they were tables were laughing and having fun and rolling dice and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, that's, that's, that's their D&D right now, you know? So, um, yeah, no, they, they just they took the concept and ran with it. And uh, I think all of the tables did really well, you know, very cool. Yeah. That's, that's super cool. I, I, I like, I like that turn of phrase too. That's their D and D that like D and D isn't necessarily one specific thing. We've got our rule books. We got our dungeon master guide. We've got our monster manual and stuff, but D and D and this, this probably really goes for all tabletop games in general, but D and D is what you make of it. One table may not look like another table. One table may have a bunch of extra rules or a certain way they do things. But as long as everyone's having fun, that's D&D. Like, it's not necessary. There's, it's not the wrong way to play. It's just the way that they're playing. Yep. So, right. yeah, that's a, that's a big thing to keep in mind. And that's my philosophy on it is take it, break it, do what you want with it. You know, as long mm. as you're having fun and your players are having fun. It's it's and I say D and D because that's usually what I play, but I don't always yeah. play D and D. You know, so whatever whatever tabletop game you're playing, tabletop yeah. playing game you're playing, for sure. Um, so seeing as you've had a lot of experience with that, if there's uh, parents who are listening that have you know nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen plus a year old kids and uh, such, and they're looking to start playing games with them or looking to introduce them. Uh, what what would you say or what kind of tips would you give for getting uh, younger, like middle school age kids started? Because uh, I'm sure you probably got that formula down to a fine, <laughs> a, a fine tuned thing uh, once you were a few years in. Well, um, I'll say we were talking about middle like I did my club for middle schoolers. Uh, but that being said, um, my daughter's started playing D and D or role-playing games way before middle school, you know, like I think we, <laughs> we um, introduced them to the concept um, 
with like stuffed animals and stuff like that. Like I would, I would draw out a map with like, you know, cartoony type, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, figures for like monsters and stuff like that. And we would have our grid or whatever, and they would put their stuffed animals representing their characters or, or what have you on the map and stuff like that. And, um, so, I mean, like my daughter's literally six years old or something like that. We're playing like role-playing games and my youngest was even younger than that. So maybe four, you know? Um, so I guess what I did is I simplified the rules for them and I did it with middle schoolers as well, you know? So that's, that's one of the things that I like about D&D fifth edition is, I mean, there are a lot of rules that you can get into. But also, you can resolve things really easy with the role of a d20 mm-hmm. and a difficulty rating and a skill or something like that. So I guess, you know, uh, what I would say to parents is is if you're, you know, just initially getting started and you know the rules really well, just take what you know and kind of pare it down, pare it back a little bit. You know, start with like, uh, this is basically what armor class is and here's how you roll to hit something with your weapon and you know, this is you're trying to use a skill. Here's how you do that. And they're both just D20 rolls with modifiers, you know. So, um, again, uh, I, I have not found that any of the rules or mechanics are so complicated that a middle schooler can't understand them, yeah. you know. So it, it wasn't even really an issue for me. So, uh, like yeah, I said, they were getting I, while, the full, full game, no problem very shortly you know like mm-hmm. i said we started we started off with a very streamlined version of the rules mm-hmm. uh, but that's really the only thing that i did to alter it was like you know we just started with basically this is an ability check this is how you roll to hit something you know those are going to be the main kinds of things that we're doing and then we introduced things like advantage and disadvantage and some of the other rules and stuff like that so uh, I, I guess the main thing is don't hit them with too much you know because you know, if if you try to tell them all of the rules, then it's going to become confusing. But but if you start out with the basic ones you need, this is how you hit something. This is how you make a skill challenge roll or a saving throw. Then that's that's really digestible, I think. So don't just walk up and say, "Here's the player's handbook. Read it. Once you're done, we can start." Exactly. <laughs> Got it. Okay. No. Yeah. <laughs> that's no, that's just... awesome. Yep. No, that that makes a whole lot of sense, and I think I think that's. That's honestly it. And there's there's also several other uh, kid friendly systems out there, too, that you can you can find that do basically that without being fifth edition. Um, that basically just have the simplified stuff that then allows you to move up to to more complicated things as you just add in um, add in extra rules. So, no, I think that's a that's a great piece of advice for that. Um, ben, any other any other questions? Not off the top of my head. Uh, if I do try to come up with one, I'm sure I'll bumble through it. So we're going to skip me for now. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, yeah, no, that's uh, that's super awesome. I think what a what a fun, cool bunch of memories you must have from from that sort of thing. Uh, so do you not do you not run that specifically now? Yeah, so as an administrator, I don't do a, a mm-hmm. club. We do have a Dungeons and Dragons club at my school, uh, mm-hmm. but a teacher runs that now. So okay. uh, it's uh, while I thoroughly enjoyed being an art teacher, uh, not having my D and D club anymore is the thing that I miss most. Uh, just because you know, like I, I can't. Well, you know, we talked about you know the different, the different things that you know, come from playing D and D or role playing games uh, for the students, uh, but I think 
you know, now that I'm reflecting on it, maybe the the greatest thing that came from it was just having a non-academic way for students to engage with school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we're talking about a lot of students who didn't play football or weren't in band or drama or anything like yeah. that. Uh, they weren't doing anything related to school outside of the academic stuff, you know? So, you know, uh, I had so many students tell me, you know, uh, Mr. Cresswell, D and D is my favorite thing about school, you know? So, uh, it, it was just, it was a great and unique way to, to bond with students, you know? Yeah. Um, that's, that's cool. Yeah. I'm, I, I like I said, if I could have had that at my school, I know that it would have been the best part. So, on behalf of them, even though I know none of them, you know, thank you for doing something like that, and also kind of being an inspiration to anybody who's listening to this who might want to start something at their, you know, their own school or or have students, you know, throw together a club or, or something along those lines. Because, you know, any way that you can help bring kids together in a school setting is a good thing and you know giving them like positive things to kind of work with as well is always a plus so like just on behalf of the world thank you <laughs> I, I mean you know I, you're welcome but also it was it was all my pleasure seriously i mean i i've been i enjoyed doing it i, I would do it again you know uh, easily yeah and, and speaking of that i do i do have to ask now um, do you have uh, anywhere uh, listed publicly or anything like that, like uh, your your rules or your the research or your proposition that you did for your school when you started it? If anyone else wanted to take those templates, I don't. I have. Um, I remain busy all the time. You know, with my paid games, my personal games my obligations for work, my family, things like that. I keep trying to carve out time to create a resource because I have a lot of people who will, will write me through, you know, Twitter or, you know, whatever, and, and, and ask for, you know, tips. And, and I try to be good about getting back to people, but also at the same time, I forget sometimes cause I get so, <laughs> I get so much, you know, coming at me, you know, uh, by, I want to call it noise, but not noise, you know, oh, uh, I, I don't mean it in a negative way, but you know, I just, um, uh, I get a lot of stuff like that. And, and sometimes I just forget. So I've been, I've been meaning to put together some kind of resource, uh, so that I can just point people in that direction and be like, Hey, I've already done all of this work. Just go check that out. You know? Um, and I intend to do that at some point. I just haven't done it yet. Cool. So TBD. TBD. Yes. <laughs> TBD. That's, that's awesome though. I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people would appreciate a resource like that. Uh, and I can, I can definitely, uh, speak to that sort of resource being very, very handy for anyone who wanted to start with the school. Cause it's like, Hey, this works somewhere. <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully I can take this, modify it slightly and, and make it work here too. So yeah, that, that would be super awesome. Um, all right. Uh, so one little aside before we move on, uh, as we always usually try and mention wizards did just recently release new unearthed arcana content, uh, heroes of Kryn. And so this is, uh, got a new subclass. It's got, uh, a new race called the Kender, which, and I'm a, I'm a fifth edition only person. I, I got involved a uh, year or two after fifth edition came out. And that's uh, back like early 
season one, campaign one of Critical Role was kind of uh, actually the the point that kind of drew me in uh, and then drove me to to start my own stuff and do stuff myself. Uh, so when this came out, I saw a lot of people are just like, oh, my gosh, what is what is this? Is this uh, Dragon Lance and all this stuff? And I'm just going, what is Dragon Lance? This uh, apparently just, you know, it's a series of really popular books and and such that uh, I didn't didn't grow up with or didn't grow up reading and whatnot. Uh, but people were apparently pretty excited uh, for some of this stuff. Is is Dragonlance? Was that a thing uh, that you were into as you were growing up? So uh, I was very aware of Dragonlance. Uh, I had one of the friends that I, I I played with really loved Dragonlance, and I had some some modules for Dragonlance and stuff like that. But I was not one of the people who went and you know read all of the books or even you know a handful of the books you know at the time or anything. Uh, that being said, I was familiar with some of the characters and and you know some of the things going on in the game because my friend would just talk to me about it a lot. You know, so uh, I knew about Kinder and stuff like that you know so um while it wasn't one that that i spent a lot of time with uh i'm definitely familiar with some of the stuff that was was released you know and is i mean i i think it's obvious they're they're, they're looking to do a dragon lance you know i mean yep. that's that's yep. on the horizon somewhere yep. so um I mean, we had fizz fizz bands you know um yep. which pulls in some stuff from there uh, and then obviously these the the Kinder and uh, what is it, the Knights of Salamnia and stuff like that. So uh, that's all from Dragonland. So that that's obvious. This it's no big secret that that's yeah, on yeah. the horizon uh, with this stuff. Probably so. probably will get some sort of uh, a campaign or setting book for Dragonland sometime this year. Uh, but there's yeah, some super interesting stuff in it. And I, I got to imagine, and this is just a guess, but just based on how they've done things previously, it's probably going to be a setting book, a setting source book, mm -hmm. I imagine, more so than a campaign. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, it, and it could be uh, a combo. They've come out with a few of those, uh, like the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount had some some adventure hooks yeah. in it. Strixhaven uh, was kind of a setting book slash campaign. Uh, at the same time so yeah it'll be interesting to see what they do there's some there's some really interesting um new like evolutions and mechanics in this unearthed arcana like mm -hmm. feats uh that only you can only take if you've taken other feats so like that build on each other which is which is kind of interesting um or feats like innate feats the uh, tied to backgrounds which is which is kind of cool uh and how how those work and so uh, just having more setting specific type stuff versus uh, more overarching stuff, because I, I remember Strixhaven came out. Uh, I believe Jeremy Crawford was like, these Strixhaven uh, backgrounds are overpowered. It's like they just are. They have extra stuff in them and because they're meant to be played with the, the Strixhaven setting. And so it, it'll be interesting now that. 5e's been out for a while if they start doing a little bit more of that type of stuff where it's just like we're not worried as much about balance of these things because these things are meant to be played in this location right and then and use at your own your own discretion if you're playing a non dragon lance game or a non strixhaven game or something like that. so it'll be interesting to see where that'll that'll run and what all uh will stay in the official stuff
Um, all right. So before we wrap up, uh, RJ, thank you. It was an awesome conversation. It was great uh, getting to hear from you and some of your uh, wisdom and tips and tricks. So we really appreciate you coming on. I thoroughly enjoyed uh, having the conversation with you all as well. And I appreciate it so much that you invited me to come talk with you today. Yeah, it's been an yeah. absolute pleasure. And, you know, opening up some insight into uh, just a, a place that we've never really visited before. So I mm-hmm. really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we wanted to give you the chance to promote anything you want. Uh, I know you've talked a lot about uh, what you do, but if people are looking for you uh, on the internet or potentially to book like a, a one shot or a campaign, uh, where can people find you? Okay. Yeah. And so um, I don't have a whole lot to, to plug or promote or anything like that, but certainly I do the professional DMing thing. So uh, if anyone's heard this and, and would like to see what it's like to actually play with me, uh, you can go to startplaying.games and you can look me up on there. Again, my name is RJ Cresswell. So that's RJ and then C-R-E-S-S-W-E-L-L. And you can come play one of my games there. Uh, other than that, uh, I'm... I'm reasonably active on Twitter, so you could find me on Twitter at RJ underscore Cresswell, C-R-E-S-S-W-E-L-L. Um, I, you know, post about mostly role-playing games, primarily Dungeons and Dragons, um, you know, just different things there. I end up, you know, I consider myself fortunate. I try to put role-playing games into the hands of as many people as I can, so I end up doing, like, a lot of giveaways and stuff like that, so... Um, you know, it, it's, it's one of the things that I like to do over there. So if you're on Twitter, come find me over there. Uh, you know, chat with me on there or participate in the giveaways and perhaps, you know, get new modules and stuff like that. So, yeah, you can find me on startplaying.games or Twitter. Awesome. Oh, uh, everyone, go check those out, uh, especially the startplaying.games. Uh, it's a great way, uh, especially if you're wanting to dip your toes in and learn uh there are uh rj for sure and there's just as a host of other dms on there that will run new player games or have long-running campaigns or uh mini campaigns that you can jump in and do uh most of them are very very affordable um and it's a great uh game night it's a great uh very much a uh, great dollar to entertainment <laughs> ratio for sure. Um, if you want to dip your toes in or uh, fill out schedule and, and play some other stuff or try out stuff. So definitely go check that out for sure. Um, all right. So before we wrap up, I usually like to talk a little bit about what's going on in our home games. RJ, you probably have a lot of choices to pick from. Is there anything really cool or any story that really stood out uh, of a game you've done recently that'd be be a fun story to share? Ooh, how about y'all bounce back to me in just a second? And give me a give me a minute to think. About okay, that. okay, yeah, because yeah, I've got I've got a lot of different <laughs> campaigns going I on. Bet. So give me just I a bet. second. Uh, ben, yes. What do you what do you got? I know you've played since the last time we've talked. Um my personal game that I DM we have not because of a whole lot of real heavy real life stuff going on. Um however last night 
the uh, kind of sporadic game that I'm in. Uh, we had our second session with my new character. So I'm actually uh, super excited about that. Um, we had oh. just finished the price of beauty from Candlekeep mysteries and my old character, which was a uh, Goliath Ranger got left behind it after a portal closed before he could go through it. And then next session came around and then we introduced my new, I'm always going to say it wrong, but the Herangon uh, Paladin that I made, which I'm like super excited to play as. That's cool. And then so last night's session was the first time that I actually really got to get in there and and play. And I can report something about Paladins. Uh, They need every single stat to be high. Otherwise, they're lacking in something. And I didn't really realize this beforehand. So, yeah, like I've got some great strengths and my attacks are great. My cons decent because, uh, you know, I I went full tank spec on this. And uh, so my spells with an eight or with a difficulty of uh, 13, not the greatest. So, you know, once I hit eight, I might be looking into bumping up some charisma, but uh, we'll see what happens and, you know, how the rest of the gameplay goes. But. We're having a lot of fun. Uh, we rolled into the next chapter in Candlekeep. We're doing Book of Cylinders now. Um, so we kind of just started that up. And I'm really excited to kind of see where it goes because we're going to go help some frog people out. Um, we ended up making our way into this this camp. Well, we're heading there. We're uh, walking over all these like giant crab cages, like this big maze of them. And uh, so me being an armor wear and our cleric being an armor wear, we just totally decimated those stealth checks and got attacked by a whole bunch of crabs so it's, it's been a lot of fun so far <laughs> are you enjoying are you enjoying the candle keep stuff i because so i know yeah. for our for our podcast we played through um through one of the candle keep adventures which, mm-hmm. was, which was super fun uh i assume the other ones are pretty fun too yeah yeah i, I i've uh re- price of beauty was a lot of fun um we gosh without going into any sort of details or anything like that uh, we uncovered the mystery, had a lot of fun, you know, defeating the, the villains at the end and, and, and you know, finishing that off and just starting up and going into this. It it seems like it's going to be really interesting. There's there's talk of the Yuntai in there or Yunti or however you say it, the snake people. So I'm looking forward to, to running into them. There's some awesome frog people that we're going to be talking with. And yeah, it's it's going to be pretty cool. So I'm I'm really stoked to uh, get in there and play. And, and like I said, I love my new character. It's He's just a lot of fun. Nice. A paladin is one of the few classes I have not played. Yeah, yet. I've never played it's one. It's on before. my list. So no, I, it's I'm on my list. Really excited to get in there and you know kind of see what they're doing. And uh, for all my awesome like bonus action spells that I can do to you know add so much more into the combat, I'm so limited on spell slots. So I'm like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna pick and choose where we're going with this and stuff and it's added a lot of strategy to you know how i'm kind of playing the game like compelled duel is great if i had a higher dc it'd be even better (laughs) but you know just one of those fun things and uh of course since i'm a harangon i i had uh, speak with animals as my because i did the oath of the ancients which is you know like the total fey oath and everything which is great tried to talk these crabs down they had nothing to go with that. They just wanted to eat us. It was oh, it was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. That's that's super fun. Uh, you'll have to you have to report back in as you uh, go through through that module. Definitely. Sure. Um, RJ, are you ready? Yeah, I was. Okay. Uh, I was 
I was trying to think of a, a, I mean, again, you know, I'm playing several campaigns right now, sure. mostly as, as the dungeon master. I'm, I mean, obviously the nature of, of being a professional DM is I'm, I'm almost always, you know, the forever DM, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't, I don't get to play very much. Uh, but that being said, um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got to do a, a, an in-person game with with some of my friends, and I wasn't the dungeon master that night, so I, I got to play. And it's it's about the third time that I've been playing in this campaign that they're they're doing, and it's it's more of kind of like this urban based campaign or or whatever. And and I'm playing a thief in there or a rogue or you know what have you. Uh, and we were just kind of, I, I guess the characters are almost kind of like a, a street gang or something like that, you know. Um, uh, and, and I've just kind of, my character has been, been hanging out with them or whatever, but we had this sort of, uh, lead that we were supposed to follow up on and we were supposed to go just kind of ask this, this wealthy merchant, you know, uh, about some stuff that was going on in town or whatever. Uh, so the dungeon master, you know, like pulls out this, this map of this, you know, uh, very, you know, nice looking manor home with like all these gardens and stuff like that, you know, and we put all our, you know, characters on the, on the map or whatever. And we're, we're talking about what's going on as we're leading up there. And I had my character was just sort of hanging out in the back and I was like, you know, well, my character is not used to seeing stuff like this. He's, you know, a porter, a poor sort of fella, you know, trying to earn his coin and stuff like that. And I was like, I imagine he's probably there, like really enjoying the flowers and probably takes a, a moment to literally stop and smell the flowers, you know? <laughs> so my character's like, like doing this. And then almost like right after that happened, you know, uh, two of the other players were just like, okay, well, we go start some trouble and, you know, like with the, <laughs> with the guards or whatever. So, uh, my character was, was literally smelling flowers as, as this fight broke out, you know, uh, and given the fact that we were in a, a wealthy merchant's manor uh, or outside of it, rather like all of, all of their house guard kind of like came out and it was like way overwhelming. So then my character got an opportunity to, to step in and try to defuse the situation, you know, being the one that I was the only one who, who wasn't like openly being, you know, violent or belligerent or, or whatever, you know? So, uh, it was an opportunity to, to, to kind of like flex some role playing skills and, you know, uh, try, try to diffuse that situation. So cool. it was interesting. Fun. It was fun, you know? So, and you know, for once I wasn't the DM and, and didn't have control of exactly what was going on, you know, uh, about me. So it, it was a, it was an interesting thing, thing to have to react to, you know? Awesome. That's great. It's always, it's always fun to, I love DMing. I love it so much, but it is always fun to be able to play every once in a while and have only one (laughs) character to think about. (laughs) It is a plus. Uh, It is, is a plus. Um, For me, uh, I, uh, one of my, I usually, uh, I have two campaigns going on and they play every other week. So I get a, play both of them twice a month usually uh we we had to skip one week the my last one because uh stomach bug was going around uh super fun especially with small children mm. wasn't at all super sarcasm uh <clears throat> but i did get to play with my uh, my other group last last night and it was super fun because uh i'm playing a i'm, I'm kind of uh been trying a, a more political game with factions and stuff like that and this, it's a very uh out of their element it's a it's a continent that does not welcome outsiders very often uh has uh very interesting and strange technologies and 
and such, and they've been slowly sneaking their way <laughs> in in and around. Uh, and they finally got a meeting with one of these minor noble houses, essentially one of the few that is still neutral in this big kind of three-way uh, major house faction war type thing. Uh, and so they went in and uh, pretending they were <laughs> potato farmers. And the the best part about this was, I was like, okay, okay, y'all, uh, we're going to roll nature checks to see what your knowledge of potatoes actually is. <laughs> the lowest was a 16. There was a 16, an 18, a 22, and a natural 20, 25. Oh, and so I was man. just like, you guys know everything there is about, but you don't, you don't have to BS like anything about <laughs> potatoes. And so they're going in and they're just talking up like, let's do trade contracts. We can supply you with potatoes. And uh unfortunately uh one of them ran uh ran their mouth a little too much and were a little too forward and did not have the charisma <laughs> to back up what he was saying and so uh as a precaution they basically got thrown in the manor dungeon uh unfortunately for them uh this was the night of like a party a lot of the the nobles and stuff were gathered they were attacked by assassins, not them specifically, but the nobles who would who were refusing to align with one of the more powerful houses uh, basically got attacked uh, as retaliation for not joining. And so they broke out of prison uh, at the bottom and fought their way up and helped uh, keep the heads of this house from getting killed. Uh, and we super fun combat session. Um the, it was especially exciting because our monk finally got to use deflect missiles and stuff. And the, the arrows were special kinds of homebrew arrows I made that exploded. And so <laughs> she was able to actually catch them and some of them and throw them back and blow them up in the face of the, the people who, who shot them. Super, super cool. Um, and our uh druid turned into a giant hyena and ate somebody so all in all it was uh it was a very successful uh the the wizard ran his mouth a little too much and got stabbed by the the master assassin and almost died but uh crisis averted they were able to chase people off with minor casualties on the civilian side and so we kind of left it at uh the aftermath of that and it'll probably be a very heavy rp session next time uh as they talk to the uh the heads of this minor house and potentially forge an alliance so i'm nice. pretty excited to see to see where that one goes it's, it's fun. fun yeah it's been a fun one um all right uh i think that's it that's it for us uh again rj thank you so much for coming yes. it's been an absolute pleasure to be able to talk to you so you're really very welcome. It. And once again, uh, thanks. Thanks to the both of you for, for inviting me to talk with you today. I, I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Uh, ben, before we leave, why don't you tell everybody where we can be reached? You bet. Um, so if you're looking to contact us and you have something, uh, you know, stories, uh, opinions, anything that you want, that's a, uh, you know, nice long message, uh, make sure to email us Send those to D discussions at gmail.com. Uh, well, if you do have something that uh, you want uh, with a little bit more immediate attention or, you know, something that's a little bit more short form, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, the show's Twitter account is at DN Discussions. 
you're looking for Ryan specifically, he is at TBKZord. If you're looking for me, I'm at Ben Bumhofer. Uh, now, if you want to uh, listen to our show uh, that we kind of hinted at earlier, Plus 5 to Hit, that's our uh, ongoing Rhyme of the Frostmaiden show. Uh, we're having a lot of fun with that. Uh, we did an entirely off-the-book quest very recently, and we're going to be jumping back into uh, some of the uh, the more you know terrifying and, and, and dark things that uh, Rhyme does hold uh, pretty soon here. A little worried, but uh, <laughs> I, I think we just had the, our newest episode come out today, which uh, doesn't matter because you know we're releasing this episode in a couple days. But anyways, <laughs> um, so check it out. Plus five to hit, and of course, uh, if you like this episode of DN Discussions, check it out. We've got sixty-two others. It's going to be the same place that you're listening to this one right now. So uh, take a listen if you like it. Let us know. Awesome. Well, again, thank you, RJ. Thank you, Ben. And uh, just as a note, this will be our only episode for March due to scheduling and craziness in personal lives. But we wanted to make it a good one. So that's why RJ's here. Exactly. Uh, and we'll be back on our regular bi-weekly schedule uh, in April. Yep. So until then, thank you all. And we'll see you next time. Yep. We'll see you soon. And... Be good to each other.